The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, brought to you by The Athletic UK. And today we're going to discuss Fulham's goalless draw against the Hammers, our long run for a win in a London derby continues as Scott Parker's men fail to read the key standing order of getting three points in another game which saw a positive performance but an unsatisfactory result at the end. My name's Sammy James and I'll be your Jackie Weaver today here giving their authority on all things Fulham FC is Lydia Campbell aka Britney Spears. <laughs> Good evening. Uh, George Singer. Uh, hello I'm glad you didn't call me Alan's iPad. Uh, you were in my head as Alan's iPad, though, as I said. I just didn't want to uh, ha- have a have a dink at you. And uh, Marco Dinovellis, who are you going to be in the Handforth Parish Council? <laughs> Hi, Sammy. I'll just say that you do have the authority here. Oh, well, thank you very much. I'm uh, very glad to have the authority. As, as chairman of this podcast today, I will uh, make sure that uh, I have all the authority. Okay, um, guys, uh, let's get on to some three-word reviews from Saturday's goalless draw, which leaves us again eight points adrift of safety. Uh, and George Singer, your first job as clerk today uh, is, to, uh, is to read the three-word reviews. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, yes, I... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I thought we'd go Instagram today. Uh, we always go Twitter. Oh. I thought I'd mix it up and go Instagram. Um, yes. So uh, kicking off with Aaron Lamb's Another Pointless Point, which I liked. Uh, Jay Barringer with Sub Earlier Scott. Sam Moran with Never a Red. Um, and because, Sammy, I know you love a, a bit of alliteration, Captain Blackwelder with Cav Can't Convert. No, he cannot. <laughs> I love alliteration, but not when it's in these circumstances, George. Um, right, yeah, let's get on to the game then. And uh, Marco, I'll start with you. Another positive performance, as I mentioned, but it's just not what we re- need right now, is it? Right right now, I'm getting no comfort in the fact that Fulham bossed a good team in West Ham yesterday because all I can do is look at the Premier League table and weep. Yeah, I think if you look at this game as a one-off game, I think we played well against a good team. You know, our defence is strong no matter how it's set up. Uh, it looks like Loftus-Cheek put in a, an above-average performance and um, you know, everyone said we've created a lot, a lot of chances, although we didn't take them. So um, as a one-off game, it's a good performance. But for me personally, it's come to the point now where we've got to look at our season as a whole and look at this game in the context of our season and look at the results of the other teams around us and start to seriously question what we're doing here. Because for all the praise we might get from um, you know, questionable pundits like Bobby Zamora, our last league win was in November. We've played 22 games and we've won two. And we haven't won for, what, 10, 12 games, something like that. And my biggest gripe from uh, the West Ham game is that, yes, we created chances, but it emerged as the game went on that Parker's plan was to go out, hold the game at 0-0, and then try and win it in the last 10 minutes. And I think to get anything from this season now, we need to start playing probably with the mentality that we've already been relegated, that draws are not enough. Let's take risks. Let's play with a bit more attacking intent and do that for the whole game and not the last 10 minutes. Um, Because what we're sort of seeing now is a parkable version two, I like to call it. Um, We're we're getting clean sheets and draws, but with no recognised striker and and with, you know, draw after draw, we're effectively sort of meandering our way to relegation. And I appreciate I'm coming across as, as pretty negative, but this game against West Ham was just another step on that journey. And, you know, 20 shots, two on target to draw again, to not score, to not win a game in 12. Um, it's very hard to get any positives from it for me. Uh, Lydia, any positives? Um, as um, as much as I enjoyed Marco's uh, summation of the game, um, maybe not the cheeriest outlook, but uh, but then again, can you blame him? <laughs> no, you, you definitely can't. And from my perspective, I, you know, being generally speaking a very optimistic person, 
um, I have lost all my optimism about Fulham that, that this season, which is a real. Oh, shame. Lydia! Yeah, I know. I know it's terrible. Um, it's it, you know we can say that it was a really positive performance in the sense that you know West Ham are what fifth in the table. Um, you know have had an incredible year so far, or very strong, um, whether they're at home or away, um, and we we didn't. We certainly didn't look like we were going to lose to them. But at the minute, the way Fulham are, at the minute, the predicament that we're in, you have to say that if you are going to have 20 attempts on target, sorry, not on target, 20 attempts. I wish. Uh, yeah, I know, exactly. A lot of people are kind of saying, um, you know, we'd, we, we deserve to win that based on the chances we created. I would flip that. And say, well, actually, if we have 20 opportunities, we create 20 opportunities in a match and we don't even take a single one, then we don't deserve to win a match. And that's kind of my feeling at the minute. And it's it's mind-numbingly frustrating um, whenever we're, you know, tw- 20, 21 games into a season and this is still the issue. We still have not worked out what our identity is going forward. And that, for me, is a, a huge worry. Uh, I mean, Singer, a big question, particularly on the Thursday podcasts as well, because Jack Collins has been banging this drum for a long time, is that we don't need to play five at the back when we are facing teams that, I don't know, isn't Man City away, right? He's been saying for ages that we can go to four at the back, that the five at the back kind of worked at first. It got us more solidity whilst this team was trying to gel and particularly the defence, but actually we can move to four at the back. We saw that yesterday. Ola Aina went out the squad and I think that's kind of harsh because I think that he hasn't done an awful lot wrong, but he doesn't really suit the system at four at the back when you have Kenny Tete available. And yesterday there was a breakthrough because we proved that four at the back still has that solidity. Anderson and Tosin still look very, very impressive at the back. And with Ariola, I still don't think we're going to concede an awful lot of goals. And that can only be a benefit because that is one extra body further up the pitch. Yes, we didn't find a way to utilize that extra man yesterday in terms of attacking output but that surely has to be a positive from yesterday that four at the back works yeah i'd i definitely agree i think we what i'd like to start seeing more of is almost like a, a plan a and a plan b so our plan a when we're at home against teams where we think we can start to dominate the match play the four at the back and bring someone like loftus cheek or, or bobby decker dover reed uh more into play up front and then we can switch to the five at the back against the bigger sides. And that's broadly when we've played played best with the five at the back is when we've been against your Liverpools, your Man Cities, or thinking about the win against Leicester. That worked really well. The five at the back, the counter-attacking football, that's where it's worked the best. Um, I think we saw, we proved today that the four at the back plus Areola uh, were more than enough to hold firm. Um, I don't think defensive solidity has been our biggest issue this season. I think for me, I think Lids kind of hit the nail on the head with, you know, whilst it's great that we've got this extra man up there, and I think we started to see Loftus-Cheek add a bit more value in that 10 role, I think we're still really lacking that attacking identity, that attacking plan. It does feel a little bit, we're, we're good at getting the ball back bringing it up to Reed and Lamino or Anguissa if he's playing. We move the ball forward to the attacking trio or the attacking quartet, and then they're just not really sure what to do with it. Um, you you look at the, the best teams in the league, you know, uh, uh, an extreme example maybe, but a Man City who have very clear plans. They have attacking playbooks which they go through, um, and they know what they're doing on the ball. You look at a Burnley who have a clear identity. Um, you, you know, there's there's lots of teams out there who have a clear attacking plan when they get the ball. The players know where to run. There's overlaps, and I think really we're we're struggling with that. And being frank, I think we've struggled with that since Scott Parker's been the manager. I think we got away with it in the Championship. We we said it a lot of times in previous podcasts of. 
getting away with winning matches with worldies. Um, and I think, you know, this is the proof here that when you get to that next level, you need that attacking plan. And I think for me, that's the reason why we just haven't been able to put these chances away. It's that kind of lack of clear attacking plan, lack of clear attacking identity. Um, and that for me is the difference between having 20 shots and none of them going in versus sneaking a win, which, you know, we, we potentially deserved. Yeah. I, and that's the thing about yesterday is even though Marco, there was what there's 20 shots on goal or whatever, how many of those were real clear cuts? Oh my God, I can't believe he missed that chances. Maybe the Cav one over the bar towards the end was a quite good chance. And uh, maybe, but I actually don't think it's the easiest chance. It's maybe because he skied it so high that it, it looked worse. Um, a lot of it though seemed to be pot shots from outside the areas. There was a Loftus cheek one towards the end, but again, it was hardly a, um, a brilliant chance. I'm sure Singer is is armed with the XG stats, and I know that Fulham did have the better expected goals that, than West Ham yesterday. But Fulham just aren't creating really simple chances for for players to score. And we can berate Cav all we want, but we aren't exactly putting it on a plate, really, are we? Yeah, and and I'm not I'm not armed with any XG stats, but um you know people will talk about you know should he go cav or or mitro up front in the games where mitro has played you know what's he done not a lot you know he didn't didn't really take his chance against burnley in in the fa cup against leicester um and i saw a, a i think it was a tweet uh which showed where Mitrovic scored his goals in the championship last season. And the vast majority of them were, you know, a couple of yards from the goal line. And we're not getting far enough forward this season um, to pin teams back to get into those positions uh, to enable someone like Mitro to score. Certainly not getting close enough to the goal. You probably have to get inside the goal itself to enable Cav to score. So, <laughs> you know, we're, <laughs> uh, we're not, we're not, we're creating these chances, yeah, but those 20 chances on paper, they look like we're doing a lot. But when you look at them, as you've said, one by one, there's probably three or four where we should do a lot better. And that is still an issue. You know, I think a lot of teams are like that. They might create like 10 chances and only around two, three of them are really, really good chances, you know, goal scoring opportunities. Um, and with the with playing Cav, we know, you know, we're probably going to, miss most of those and we're we're in like a very strange situation right now where Cav is sort of molded into our like it's almost like our Cristiano Ronaldo in, in Parker's eyes it's like the main man I was pretty surprised when he took the first free kick we won and Parker seems to have this endless trust in him which to be honest I, I understand to a certain extent because his attitude is good but it just quality is is not there um but by the same token, if we are playing Mitro, we do need to try and find a way to, to present him with chances which are closer to the goal because he's very rarely going to do anything from mm. outside or, or the edge of the box. I mean, Lydia, the chance was there yesterday as well because West Ham's attitude to this game was was a bit peculiar. It had the feeling of a side that felt like, we don't need to win today. We've won lots of games. We don't need to win all of them. That's just embarrassing. I mean, the substitution on 56 minute from David Moyes surely had one eye on the cup match against Man United in midweek. You know, to take off Jared Bowen and Ben Rama for, for Mark Noble and, and Yarmolenko, I mean, I feel like David Moyes was feeling sorry for us and just was like, go on, Scott, go on, Scott. I've, I've taken off my two best players. Go, go and win, go and win this one. Because I mean, they were just quite flat yesterday and, and seemingly very content with a point, which is a compliment in a way, but also had the feeling if they felt sorry for us in, in, in another way. Yeah, I think one of the issues is that teams know that we have so many struggles going forward um, but they also know that we're quite tight at the back. So they, they you know, when they're coming up in against us, they, they've done the research. They probably knew that we weren't that big of a, th of a threat, unfortunately. So mm. I suppose they felt that, okay, you know, we're in a really strong position in the league. Um, 
if we if we can get through to the next round of the cup, it will be absolutely amazing. Let's do a little bit of squad rotation here. Um, it doesn't really look like Fulham are in the mood going forward. Um, so why not? We're we're most likely not going to lose this one. Um, I mean, I don't know. I, I agree with you. I mean, Jared Bowen has um, history of, of score against Fulham um, for whatever club mm. he's at. Um, as you say, Ben Rama, a, a similar. Say, I think, did he score against us a couple of times last season or in the last couple of seasons? I think he Well, he certainly have. scored against us this season because I think he, he single-handedly ended Michael Hector's career by nutmegging him and then bending it into the uh, <laughs> yes. the bottom corner in the Carabao Cup. Yeah. So, you know, so exa- exactly, you know, we're, we're we taking those two players off. It, do- it does look a little bit like... Moyes was happy with um, with just not losing. But the thing about it is, he can afford to do that. You know, we we can't we can't afford to do that. So I'm still you know astounded that Parker is playing Cav over Mitrovic. And I get that we're slower. I get that. But I'm going to sound like a broken record every time I'm on this pod. I say we need to start Metro ahead of Cav. Um, yeah. And in the few games that we've done it. You know, he got an assist last week. Um, it, you know, he assisted twice against West Brom earlier in the season. Um, the link-up play is better. I'm not saying he's the answer to all our problems. He's not. Really, we needed to do something in the transfer market for that. But I still think he's a much better option than, than, than Caballero. And I just... Scott seems adamant, as um, I think someone's just said, of using Cav. Um, and I just don't think it's working and I don't think it's ever going to work. No, I, I don't know if it's ever going to work either. And he keeps trying it and trying it and trying it. And then he occasionally goes to Metro and then he tries Cav. I, I don't know if it's rotation. I mean, Singh, I'm genuinely kind of expecting Madger to start against Everton because I feel like Scott just doesn't trust Mitrovic for, for whatever reason. And he's given him the game against Leicester and he gave him the game against West Brom and he's reverted back. It was a, it was an astonishing decision for me when you, and you go into this game, seeing the results that we'd seen Newcastle somehow winning with nine men, um, Brighton winning at Liverpool last week. And, and he's still, you know, the, the, I feel like I really want to back Scott Parker. I really, really do. I want him to have the season. I don't want him to get sacked, but decisions like that, do have will certainly have me banging my head against a wall. I imagine twenty thousand other Fulham fans. Yeah, um, I I really wouldn't be surprised if he does go with Madger. Um, I think for me, and I posted a, a bit of the data earlier. Um, I both Caviero and Mitrovic have have really struggled this season. I, I think in in different ways. Um, whilst I think Cav has some. Uh, very good qualities. He's a very good defensive forward and he leads the line very well. He applies lots of pressure, but he doesn't get into those shooting situations. And Mitrovic kind of a, a bit on the flip side of he gets into shooting situations, but his finishing his finishing the season has been really, really poor. Um, obviously, we think back to, you know, in our minds, he's this free scorer who puts everything away. But this season... He's been really poor. He's had plenty of opportunities and he hasn't been able to put them away. Now, you could point to luck. You could point to, you know, a, a, a bit of kind of lack of confidence or, or falling out with the manager. You know, you could point to all these things. But the the fact is, if, you know, I, I kind of like Lid said, I don't think all our problems do get solved by playing Mitrovic up front. I think if we played the whole season as we have with Mitrovic playing instead of Caballero, I think broadly we'd be in the same position we are now, honestly. Um, so for me, I think the the platform is there for Madger. I think he offers hopefully the kind of pros of Caballero of being quicker, being energetic, um, but kind of more of your classic striker, fingers crossed getting in some better attacking opportunities Obviously, we saw a, a tiny bit of that uh, during the match. But for me, you know, if if Parker's going to go for anyone, for me, 
I think Madge is probably the the most sensible person to go with. Um, I think it'll be really interesting to see who he does go with in the in the next lineup we see. I mean, am I remembering correctly that even Mitrovic in the championship when he scored all those goals didn't still have the best shot conversion ratio? He he. I certainly remember the two seasons that he was in the championship for us. He almost certainly had the highest amount of shots in the league. He got an awful amount of opportunities for Fulham. And yes, he was still a deadly striker. I think that's doing a disservice to just say that it was law of averages that Mitro scored so many goals. It wasn't. He was still, you know, very, very prolific. But also he just had so many more opportunities because he's not the most accurate. I think, yeah, uh, I think a, a big part of that is a lot of Mitro's chances tend to be headers and headers just are, they're converted at, at, at less of a rate than a, a shot with your feet. You know, you've, you get less power on them. The goalkeeper's got more time. It comes more directly at the goalkeeper's arms compared to a shot from the floor. So I think that that tends to be why we see Mitro having a high volume and lower ratio because he has more headers. Um, I think the issue is when we've played, especially earlier in the season when Mitro was getting his opportunities, we were over-reliant on crosses coming in. And whereas Mitrovic, you know, got a few kind of pinballs in the box and would be that six-yard poacher, those opportunities didn't quite come in the Premier League. And he, we had to revert to just pinging balls in the box. And even though Mitrovic is very good in the air, we're against better centre-backs, better better goalkeepers, and they're less likely to go in. So I think for me, you know, we've, we've almost been found out a little bit here of, you know, teams have just um, reduced our attack when Mitrovic is playing to just balls into the box. And when they know that's what they're coming up against, they can prepare their defenders for it. So again, I think, you know, badgering the, the point a little bit, but if we had a clear attacking identity of, um, either going for counter-attacks or going for through balls or whatever it is, if we have a clear plan of what we want to do and build our side around it, then things would work out. But it feels at the moment a little bit of square peg round hole of Scott's trying to play this mishmash between possession and sort of counter-attack and sort of crossing. Mitrovic doesn't quite work in that system because I think we've probably struggled to find a striker that could really be that flexible. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's a difficult one. I, I don't think there's a clear uh, there's a clear option or a clear favourite for the striker role. I think, like I said, that's for me why I'd like to see Magic come in and see what he can do. Yeah. I, I mean, Marco, there, there's been talk as well of... I, I thought Anthony Robinson wasn't great yesterday and I noticed he was getting a bit of stick on Twitter and, and some people asking, you know, why isn't Joe Bryan getting minutes ahead of Robinson when we know that his delivery into the box for, for Mitrovic has, has historically been very, very good. I think a lot of people though were quick to say, well, yeah, but can we remember Joe Bryan defending in the Premier League? I was just about to say that people have short memories. Um, like if if you do that, then you risk our, our defensive solidity going out the window. Um, Joe Bryan in the Premier League is big question marks over him, I think. And Anthony Robinson might not have been at his best recently, but probably been one of our best players this season. Um, you know, maybe doesn't have all the stats to prove it, but I think he's he's added a lot to the team, and uh, I think he is just a quality above. Joe Bryan and, and will be for the future. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if Joe Bryan doesn't score that free kick in the playoff final, um, do we care that much about Joe Bryan? I'm not convinced. Um, good left <laughs> championship player, but he's not a Premier League player. And uh, Anthony Robinson probably is. And, uh, I, yeah, I think he offers a lot going down that left. I think for the start of the West Ham game, um, certainly first half, when we were attacking, a lot of it was was coming down that left uh, side. And some of the goals that we have actually scored this season have, have come from his forward runs, at least at the start of the move. Um, so I'd, I'd be very wary of, of swapping him out. And again, like having a consistent uh, defence, uh, even if it is uh, personnel rather than the numbers at the back is, is important. Um, and I'd I definitely wouldn't wouldn't swap him out. 
Yeah. And and one other way that Fulham could score Lydia, but unfortunately are not, is is set pieces. I think I've mentioned it before, but again, Tosinada Abayo missing another good opportunity from a header. He seems to get one a game that falls on his head. He's got this amazing ability to get his head on the end of a cross. I just really need him to start heading it down rather than up. That's all That's all we need to do. And I feel like there's a goal a game in Tosinada Abayo, mostly because he's about as high as the QE2 bridge. But like, he just needs to get his... If he, if he starts scoring a few from set pieces, and I thought the interesting stat yesterday was looking at West Ham and they're the top scorers in the league from set pieces with 12 goals. And I, if you add 12 goals to Fulham's game this year, then I think we're not far off where West Ham are considering how tight all the matches have been. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would definitely agree with that. Um, to not want to, you know, form myself into Scott Parker overnight. And um, this is a game of of margins, and um, it's so, so Scott awful. Parker bingo. Yeah, I know, I know. It's like what is going on with me? Um, but he is right in the sense that there's so many games this season where we have lost by one goal or 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 withdrawn. Um, and when you look at things like the Lewis Dunk clearance off the line at the last seconds of Brighton um, and Tosin's chances, you know, in the past couple of games, you're thinking, you know, if, if all three of those were to have went in um, at the times of the games as well, you know, you, you could be talking um key key differences there in terms of where, where we are. Um, I do feel like it's a little bit unfortunate for him as well though, and that he seems to be the one every time. And because he's missed a few, people are automatically like I've seen a couple of people on Twitter kind of d- dissing him because of it. And I'm like, look, you know, remember what his role is in the team. Yes, it would be great if we could start scoring from set pieces, because we're certainly not scoring them from from o- open play. Um but let's not be too harsh on the lad. I would say that that's maybe something that him and Anderson, considering the, the height of them, um, need to be more um, imposing. And uh, that's that's fair point to make. Um, and I think in general, our delivery in set plays has become a lot better. Um, I thought, thought Lookman did a really good job for, from corners yesterday. It is just a shame that either they're going just over the bar or they're going right exactly where, where the keeper wants them to. I think maybe that's something that Parker needs to look at as something that an area of the pitch where we can score from. Um, but it's just very unfortunate that nothing is dropping for, for us at the minute. It's just not, we're just not getting the lock as well, which is obviously making things very difficult. Okay, well, it's been a cheery opening 26 minutes from the Fulhamish podcast so far. So uh, we'll take a little bit of a break, recompose ourselves, uh, and we'll try and find some solace after the break. Is there any hope left? And how do Fulham get themselves to safety this season, if at all possible? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, and I'm joined by George Singer. Hello, mate. Marco Dinovellis. Hi, Sammy. And Lydia Campbell. Good evening. Good evening, Bombardier. Right, let's um, <laughs> come on to one element of the West Ham game that we didn't discuss, which was at the end, the, the Thomas Suchek red card. For all I care, I was getting a bit annoyed by it because I remember thinking as it was happened, I remember thinking everyone's going to talk about this red card and not the match. And, you know, the analysis on match of the day annoyed me a little bit because Gary Lineker was there saying, oh, there's nothing left to talk about. And I was like, there's loads about left to talk about. You've got a team here that's playing really well and can't score goals. Like, I not that I really want that to be advertised to the world, but that's the interesting analysis here. Not whether Socek elbowed Mitrovic or not. But anyway, um, <laughs> Margo, let's just get your thoughts on it because... Um, Look, I think we all bleed black and white. We are all as biased as they come, but I think we can all accept that that, that isn't a red card in a million years. No, I, I actually thought Mitro's reaction to the elbow was was pretty embarrassing. Um, you know, he's a big, 
big bloke. That is just classic Mitro though. Like, and he's probably just trying to, I don't think he's trying to get him sent off there. Well, maybe, but it's, he's he's rolled around and then he's gone back later and, and tried to make up for it, but, but probably out of his own embarrassment. Um, I don't know. He's uh, yeah, he's all he's all in and uh, can let his passions get the better of him. But it was just a weird one because there was nothing really for us to gain from him doing that in extra time, def- um, defending a free kick. And so it wasn't even sort of dark arts at play. So who knows? Maybe it did hurt him a little bit um but I, yeah i think the whole the whole scenario was just ridiculous and uh yeah suchek um probably the best thing that happened for me personally was fantasy football implications of having suchek sent off was was fantastic for me um, <laughs> but also uh, i know we spoke about it a, a bit before the pod um but bobby zamora's tweet after the the game is is a great one. A lot of pundits came out and were absolutely furious about this sending off, like like it happened to them. Um, and and Zamora basically called Mike Dean clueless. It was quite a rude tweet, but um, I especially enjoyed the use of the hashtags in it. Like a sort of six year old child had, had got their dad's iPad. Um, it was <laughs> Mike Dean once again clueless. Hashtag bad ref. Hashtag worse than the game. Hashtag Bellend. Hashtag Mike Dean. And then, as, <laughs> as George said, uh, Singer said before, he, he used an emoji uh, bell to um, picture a, a bell, an end of a bell in the tweet. So it was very a childish genius from uh, Bobby Zamora. I know you've you've taken against him, Sammy, but it's good to... Um. Uh, Bobby Bobby Zamora has been in my cranium all day since yesterday. His comment on Sky Sports just before the match. um, My parents couldn't work out why it wound me up so much, but there was, I I think they were talking about London derbies and the fact that London, uh, sorry, that Fulham and West Ham is not really a fiery London derby, which is nothing controversial to say. The only love loss between Fulham and West Ham is maybe the fact that they beat us in the 1975 Cup final. We you know we're from the other, we're from opposite sides of London. We uh, didn't play each other for best part of twenty years just after the millennia. So yeah, there isn't a massive rivalry between Fulham and West Ham. That's a completely legit thing to say. But then Bobby Zamora just started to say, you know, Fulham haven't really got any rivals. You know, said maybe Chelsea, but they play in a higher echelon. And other than that, Fulham, you know, just don't really not like anyone. I'm like. Are you joking, Bobby? You literally moved from Fulham to probably our biggest rival, Queen's Park Rangers. I mean, just some of these ex-footballers, I'm telling you now, steal a living. Like, I'm not expecting you to be the top pundit in the world, but you played for Fulham to not know that we don't have rivals of QPR and Brentford. It, It was just a bit embarrassing for me, Bobby. And Bobby Zamora, right, scored some great goals on the European run, but I, he calls Mike Dean a bellend, and actually, I, I think he's one. Mike Dean's not the biggest bellend in town tonight. It's Bobby Zamora, honestly, whatever, you scored against Shakhtar, still a dick. <laughs> <laughs> one thing about um, watching Fulham on TV and on, on online this season, not actually going to games, is that you really get to experience the depths that the punditry can go to, the sort of characters they pick out from God knows where. And you get your Bobby Zamoras and your, I don't know, people on BN Sports who you've never heard of and, and American streams. And there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting pundits out there and, and Zamora's up there. I mean, you do wonder with so many ex-footballers who just walk into punditry jobs, I think... I wonder whether TV companies are going to start thinking about that because I think it, it's almost become the the point of you think of your Bobby Savages or your Steve McManamans who get so much abuse and, in my opinion, rightly so for what they say. I, I do wonder whether TV companies are starting going to start to get a range of people to commentate on matches because I think it's clear that whilst yeah it's it's great to get ex players on to get their insight of what these matches are actually like i think just by being an ex footballer it doesn't mean you know what you're talking about one of the best sorry, sorry to bang on but one of the best about this i'm going to sound a little bit brexit here but i'm allowed to say this because i'm also italian um but, uh, <laughs> 
I think it was the last World Cup, BBC had Fabio Cannavaro. The man could not speak a word of English. He, he you know, very heavy Italian accent. <laughs> he just couldn't, couldn't really communicate what he wanted to say. And, but obviously he's there because he's a fantastic player. But uh, I think, yeah, you're seeing more more journalists, certainly on BT Sport. Yeah, I think that's where I wouldn't mind it going. You know, give me Philippe Claire on the punditry over Bobby Zamora any day of the week. I mean, Lydia, look, this is um, kind of uh, quite close to home for you as someone that literally works in sports broadcasting and I don't want to put you on the spot or put you in trouble with, with any employer. But, you know, I guess you guys working behind the scenes in sports companies must get frustrated with some of the things that are said on telly by, you know, ex-players that frankly don't actually know all that much about football. As far as I knew, Bobby Zamora didn't even like football. Yeah. I mean, look, what you need to remember is that generally speaking, if you're working in sports news, you will be a sports fan. So, and I think people quite a lot, a lot of the time forget that that you know a lot of us have similar frustrations um that you know kind of the general fan does at, at home um i think we also see the other side of it you know the the abuse that the people get you know that colleagues get um i mean i know myself about the whole karen corney incident with with um leeds um, you know, while I haven't worked with Karen di- d- directly, you know, she is a BBC colleague. And while her comments that night might have not have been put in the most e- eloquent way, you know, we see the abuse that goes on and how much that, that impacts people. I think um, what we do need is an acknowledgement, like as you say, that just because you once played for a football club, that doesn't make you an expert on that football club. Um, particularly with Bobby Zamora's comments the, the other night about us not having a, a rival was just, I mean, I remember I, I was similar to you, Sammy. I was just speechless at how someone who could actually have played for the club and, and thinks that. Um, I wonder, you know, we generally find um, in my own place of work that there's a lot of, we tend to get a lot of journalists on now, um, not necessarily instead of ex-players, um, but we we will use the we will use both to kind of complement yeah. each other, um, and you know we would use a lot of kind of fan podcasts and things like that in our coverage because quite often that's you, you know that's when you're getting the real experts. At the end of the day, fans we might be. Um, biased in a way um especially mm. when games get a bit a bit emotional and relegation and titles are being decided um but we are the ones who've watched every single match of, of of the season and i think that's why it grinds and people like you say when a match of the day they only focused on the red card and not on the fact that you know that many other issues are at hand um, I think it's a balancing act, though, as well, because all these big companies, the likes of BT and Sky, will probably have these people on like long-term contracts. So I think yeah. that's probably one of the um, the reasons behind them going to the same people. And whenever the likes of um, McManaman and say Carragher, um, I know on Sky, make all sorts of contra- not controversial, but very biased comments about Liverpool. It does get people talking, and these big commercial companies do like that. Whether it's good or bad, they will enjoy yeah. the chatter and will enjoy the um, the, the debate because it does. It also shows that people are watching. Um, that's probably quite quite good for them, really. I guess, look, I think everything's about balance, right? You know, and, and for instance, a radio show that I always listen to is the Five Live Monday Nightclub. And you couldn't have a better like mixture. You off, you have obviously Mark Chapman hosting, who's a, a very good host. But you look at the three people that are generally on it. You've got Micah Richards, who, who's an ex-footballer. Bubbly, I think he really knows the game. And I think he's an excellent pundit um, whenever you watch him. Um, you have Chris Sutton. And look, Chris Sutton divides opinion. But that is exactly why he's there. He says controversial things. Things and, and 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 you know you need a bit of spice otherwise no one would listen but then you also have Rory Smith from the New York Times who adds that kind of 
breadth of being a, a journalist he's a fan he's a man that studied the game who can speak about things on, on a slightly higher echelon who will know that fulham have rivalries and whilst chris sutton may not you have that balance and that's what i sometimes think they get wrong on the telly is they just don't have that mixture in there we all want to hear from ex-players ex-players know the game better than anyone but also we do need that kind of opinion of you know some just journalists anyway we've massively massively sidetracked here so um let's come on to some questions and um george i'll go to you on this one because this is something that you touched on earlier so it'd be good to get your opinion from Durs derpington who says what is the plan once we get the ball over the halfway line some teams play out wide overlapping with the fullback so the wingers can cut in or fullbacks cross from the from the byline with some intricate passing for the center midfielders to get into the d long and short of it george Durs is asking what is fulham's plan what are we trying to do in the attacking third i'm not going to believe that scott parker and his team have no plan because i think that's quite I don't know. I, I just, I know that there will be some kind of plan in the attacking third. I realize it's not working, but what do you think Scott is trying to do when we get into the final third of the pitch? It's a good question. And one that I honestly don't think I can answer. Um, I think when we, uh, I think the only game this season or, or the only game in kind of recent memory that I could answer that question would be, the uh, the Leicester away game, and I think we had we did have a really clear plan there. If we had um, Cavallero, Lookman, and Loftus Cheek, and they were there for their pace broadly, and we attacked with speed, we played through balls, and I think Lookman's goal was a, a perfect uh, kind of output and a perfect outcome of what we were clearly trying to do. And what really frustrates me is. It's, it's really not clear what we were trying to do uh, against West Ham. I think if you look at, um, I put some of the, the players' heat maps out, a lot of the players of, of Loftus-Cheek and Caviero and uh, and Broadly Lookman as well all occupied very similar places. Um, there was a bit of intricate play and a bit of passing around but no clear plan. We saw a bit of fullbacks overlapping but not too much. And when um, kind of you look at some of the average pass maps, I think it's clear from defence into midfield what we're trying to do. But attack, we don't quite have the plan. And I think what's really frustrating, I watched earlier in the game, um, the Newcastle, sorry, earlier in the day, the Newcastle-Southampton match. And I think whilst I think genuinely we're a better side and we got better quality than Newcastle, for all their issues, Newcastle do have a very clear plan of those attacking front three of Sam Maximan and Wilson and Fraser. They are so quick. Um, they're looking for those overlaps. They go for those direct diagonal balls. They put crosses into the box. And I'm not necessarily saying that we should copy them and do exactly what they do. But for me, that's the difference between us and Newcastle is their players have a very clear plan. Callum Wilson knows exactly where he needs to be and that's why they can convert their chances into goals and that's why they can sneak a 3-2 win where frankly they didn't deserve to win and that's why we can't convert a game where we deserve to win. For me, that's the big difference. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say for me that it's really difficult to see the plan. I'm not sure, like you said, I'm sure it's not a case that Scott doesn't have a plan. I'm sure he does. He's an intelligent guy. He speaks well. He's got an intelligent team. It's either, I think it's got to be in the implementation. I think it's got to be down to him drilling the players in on the training pitch. Uh, something's kind of breaking down there because we're not seeing that uh, when it comes to game day on, on Saturdays. Yeah, I just can't believe that a team that looks like it has so much of a plan in the midfield and and in defence and, and we're so clean the way that we pass the ball, the way that we win the ball back, that Scott's just saying, no, we don't need, we don't need an attacking plan. We just we just go forward and, and attack, you know. I'm sure there is something, but as you say, George, it clearly isn't working and it isn't that evident to us um, as fans. Uh, Mark, I'll go on to you on this one next from um, 
Vincent Leander, uh, who says, will the club stick with Parker if, in brackets, or rather when uh, we go down? And if not, who comes in? Uh, it is an interesting question and one that we do need to start considering giving our position in the table. Do you think that Parker would be here next season if we do go down? Uh, it's tough, tough one to say. Uh, I think if I, I think if we do what we're doing now, keep drawing, playing well, narrow losses, and and go down as probably what will happen. Sorry to be incredibly negative again, uh, but uh, if that does happen, I will probably keep him um, and do similar things as we did last year in the championship. And I, I think you know people forget that. Last season in the championship, from my, in my opinion, it was pretty miserable for the majority of the championship. You know, we won we won games, but the performances there were a lot of games where it was pretty dire. And as I've said, you know, that playoff final uh, just sort of cemented over the cracks. Um, but I, I don't think we would sack Parker unless we really start you know, really losing the plot and not getting these draws and, and just if we lose like the next five in a row or something like that and not pick up draws and put in good performances. I think the Khans are, are fairly committed to him. It seems to have a good working relationship as good as you can with um, with Tony. Um, if we did get rid of him, again, you know, if you are going to sack him before the end of the season, as is always the case, you need to have someone lined up who's, uh, who's going to improve us and it's going to be pretty tough to find someone to come in that quickly this year and do that. You know, to be fair, Chelsea look like they've they've done that in a sense. They've had someone clearly lined up for, for Lampard's replacement and got him straight in. People have talked about Eddie Howe. Um, I, yeah, I wouldn't be against that. Um, it's a real tough one because I think Parker is... is doing as well as he can. I think the big issue we have is the striker issue, which has been an issue for a long time. We've relied on Mitrovic as our only striker at the club for far too long. And last season, we we were saying, you know, what do we do if Mitrovic gets injured? Um, and now we've we've uh, you know, come across, like, what do we do if Mitrovic has a really bad turn of form? And we've got no one to turn to. So we brought in Josh Madger, but you know, we'll be surprised if that mm. would be revolutionary. Um, probably he needed more support in terms of, of striking going forward. Um, but yeah, I don't think he'll be sacked. Uh, I think we'll go, <laughs> I think we, we may go down. And uh, if we do, I think we'll probably stay and he'll be given the first seven to 10 games yeah. of next season. Yeah. I, I also think the same. I, I would keep, Scott personally because I just generally think he would be the man best equipped to get us back up from the championship and and there's nothing like experience and and knowing the squad but we'll have to wait and see um final question here it's, it's more of a statement really Lydia but I just want to get your opinion on it for, from Lawrence Craven and it probably goes over some of the stuff we've already mentioned but that he says the squad may be better the coaching may be better and the performance have been better so in a word why is the outcome of this season looking likely to be as the, the same as the last time in the Premier League. In a word, flip that's uh, that that that. Well, I'll, I'll give you a few. You're allowed a few words, Lydia. It's a podcast, so uh, you don't have to just limit it. I know that we, as a podcast, are famous for limiting the amount of words you can say, but you're allowed more than a word here. Um, I think it's a combination of having um the same person in the director of football role without wanting to go into that too much. Um, yeah. And having a new, not a new manager, obviously Parker isn't new, but having a a relatively new manager in terms of his managerial career, um, I think there, there has to be a combination there. Um, I'm not going to turn around and say this is all Tony's fault or it's all Parker's fault or it's all, I don't know, Metro's fault or it's all the fault of the fact that we've no fans. Um, I also think that this is the most bizarre season ever to happen because of the current pandemic. And I would say that teams at the bottom of the table probably struggle without their fans more than anyone because we can't rely on the same level of quality that other clubs have. I think that's okay to, to admit that. 
Um, yeah. Think of the the one all draw. I mean, we've had three nil all draws at the cottage this season. You know, we haven't mm. before that. When was the last one? Like something ridiculous, like eight seasons ago. Well, it was or about it was, it was it was over nine years. So yeah, I think yeah, I think all of those factors. I still don't think that that game against Brighton, where it did finish nil nil, I think Fulham win that game if it hadn't have been the fact that fans had just been stopped from coming in. The day yeah. before, I think there's been lots of small little things that ne- haven't necessarily worked in our favour because of the situation this year. And I, and I think a bouncing cottage would have led us to one or two more wins this year. You look at a game like last night where it was crying out for a goal. It was crying out for a 12th man. It was yes. nil nil. We were bossing West Ham. We were on top. Does one of those chances go in? Does someone make a different decision because there's a crowd in the Hammersmith end? everyone's been equally affected by this pandemic, but there have been just the odd moment where, where I think that we have come out unlucky. Yes. I see. I I think, I think that's kind of where, where, where it is, isn't it? Is that we, okay. We all struggle with this. We all struggle with the fact we've no fans. But um, when I think of the Huddersfield at home game, the year, the last time we went down with no fans, we don't win that game. Um, no. as just one example um, yes okay we're all struggling with this West Ham, Sheffield United, Brighton Burnley um, Newcastle the teams down and around us I also think that the teams who are down in and around us apart from Sheffield United and West Brom who are the teams in the same predicament that we are have been in the Premier League for, for longer recently um, and have managers who are not new and I think that this isn't me advocating us going out and getting a, a more experienced manager. I'm not. I'm very much, while I, I'm frustrated with Parker at times, I don't want him to go. Um, but I do think that these the a combination of these factors is contributing to why we're in the same situation. Yeah, indeed. Well, I mean, um, I had a message here from Brian Chapman, which I thought was interesting to read, who said, uh, keep the faith. Uh, Still feels so much better than two seasons ago. Remember being at Huddersfield and Southampton away and there was no team spirit. Spirit is still there. Just need a bit of luck. RLC to uh, to shoot straight and we'll be fine. And, you know, I replied to him saying it does feel a million times better than two seasons ago, but just can't believe we're somehow in a situation table wise that's so much worse, almost seems unfair in a way. And he came back and said look at the res- I looked at the results from 1819 and from the 1st of Jan we went on a run that was lost 12-1-1 so we are doing better than in 1819 I think what we can't factor is just some of the results that have been going on around us and um, I saw Mike Gregg's tweet today that given the fact that some of the teams above us have just gone on the uh, have achieved some amazing results you know two wins at Anfield which by the way seems like the easiest ground in the country to get a result out at the moment but you know Newcastle winning with nine men means that survival is looking like 39 points this season that means that Fulham would have to be the ninth best team in the league between now and the end of the season in order to escape that's the kind of level that Fulham have to go on now but also part of me believes that actually I think this team can be the ninth best team in the Premier League between now and the end of the season we do just need to start getting a little bit of luck and I, I don't think all hope is lost but yeah it's um it's a difficult time right now and that table every time you look at it kind of punches you in the gut because it does just somehow feel unfair the way that Fulham are playing and and as George said earlier I think we're a better team than Newcastle they've lost more games than us which is mad and they're 10 points ahead so yeah it's a pretty rough time all right we're going to take a quick break and then we'll finish the podcast part three of the fulhamish podcast sammy here with george marco and lydia um george how are you feeling then after after about an hour of talking about it i mean the, the situation isn't pretty I feel like those next few games um, are, are crucial. Uh, Fulhamish tweeted yesterday saying um, just what we needed after a bad run. Uh, two games in quick succession at, at Goodison Park and Turf Moor where probably the two worst <laughs> grounds we've got a record at in the country. But there is still a chink of light, I believe, left. But I mean, it's fading faster and faster with every game, but there is still a chink there and we do need to kind of hold on to that. 
Yeah, I mean, I was just thinking during the previous conversation and kind of reflecting back on two years ago, which was such a stinker of a season. And, uh, you know, this this doesn't feel the same. Like there's there's definitely positivity. There's been some great additions. We've got a nice young squad. And I, I think there's definitely the hope there. Um, I think for me, just the only thing I'd, I'd kind of add on top of everything that everyone said is just let's keep in mind and kind of frame how you know, the odds were stacked against us so harshly at the start of the season. If you think about how many teams who go up via the playoff come straight back down, the odds were against us. And then think of how we had the shortest pre-season. I think of, correct me if I'm wrong, but probably of any team in the Premier League ever, you know, for for us to get around that, we were going to have to really do extraordinary things. And I, I don't think we've quite done extraordinary things, but I think we've done really good things. Um, I think we've managed to transition a squad from championship quality to Premier League quality. Um, our defence has been really good, comparing it to two years ago where we just utterly collapsed. We're, we're kind of like mid-table in the defensive numbers. So look, I, whilst I, honestly kind of thinking with my head, I think relegation is is the most likely outcome here. But I think there's so much to be proud of. There's so many positives that we can take. Maybe there haven't quite been enough positives to 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 see us stay up. But look, I think there's so many good parts that we can take from the season. And you know, whatever happens, I think we're in a much better place now than we were when we went down two years ago. Uh, Marco, um, you were notoriously unoptimistic at the start of this pod. Um, can you see the chink of light? Uh, well, difficult one. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to get existential about it, really. You know, we've had um, one of the strangest past 12 months um, ever um, in life and also in, in terms of watching Fulham. And this season was always going to be a, a strange one. We're all watching at home, watching, you know, previously watching terrible streams and instead of watching pay-per-view and now watching um, dodgy pundits commenting on our games on TV. Where we be, where we are next August, you know, wouldn't it be nice uh, to be back in the, in the stands? And if that's in the championship, I'll be very content. Um, so fully up for whatever happens really we've done well we've done a good good account of ourselves we haven't embarrassed ourselves like last time there'll be huge changes if we do go down um but if we do uh what's what's football about it's about going to games enjoying yourself and and uh winning and having a good time and having exciting time and, and the championship can more than deliver that so i'm up for whatever happens all right well um Hopefully Fulham can make the most of a week off. And actually, you know what? I obviously was a bit annoyed after the Burnley game with how he got dumped out of the cup, but Fulham need a midweek break badly. So fingers crossed we can make the most of eight days off. Everton have got a game in the week, an FA Cup fifth round match against Spurs, which they're hardly going to um, lay down with a whimper and play the second string. So fingers crossed we can go into next Sunday's match against Everton. Fresh legs uh, and put in a good performance. 7pm on Valentine's Day, by the way. Did someone... That's some kind of sick joke. The chances of me watching that without a a few eyebrows being raised by the missus are slim. Uh, Right. (laughs) Uh, George, uh, we just need to name the podcast today. So what would you like to go with? Um, I'm going to go with my favourite one from Instagram. So well done to Aaron Lamb. We're going to go with another pointless point. Very, very nice. Okay, well, thank you for listening today. The podcast will return on Thursday. Myself, Peter Rutzler and Jack will be looking ahead to that Valentine's game against Everton. Uh, And all that's left to do is to thank my guest, George Singer. Thank you very much. Thank you, mate. Make sure you follow at SW6Stats on Twitter if you like bar charts. Uh, Marco Dinovelis, thank you very much. Cheers, Sammy. Uh, why should people follow you on Twitter? Obviously, Singer's got bar charts. What have you got? Oh, very little. Um, <laughs> follow me for, for monthly uh, updates from uh, the world of uh, business schools and graduate management education, which my uh, job 
incest that I do. I mean, some people would argue that's more interesting than George's bar oh, charts, but uh, let, 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 not, me, not me, not me, not me, but some would. Uh, Lydia Campbell, why should people follow you? Surely for pictures of the woofer, right? That's that's the best thing on your on your real social media. Absolutely, what I was going to say. My picture, uh, many pictures of dogs, and um, which is probably why so many people unfollow me. <laughs> <laughs> really bored of seeing this strange greyhound um, lying on his back the way he is right now beside me. Uh, but yeah, if you want pictures of dogs, um, a little bit of Northern Irish banter, then um, comment, well, <laughs> Northern Irish banter is maybe a bit strong, but um, yeah, come, come and join the fun. The fun. As they call that Nanta, Northern Irish banter. <laughs> I think you've made up a word. Tell you what, that was shit banter. That's all that, that was. That's all that was, actually. <laughs> God loves a child. It's all right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's all right. You can follow me if you uh, enjoy people knocking down walls. That's uh, that's my main thing at the moment. I'm um, I'm the the new coming of Nick Knowles at the moment, uh, renovating houses. Right. Anyway, we've uh, wangled on today. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. Have a good week, and we'll see you on Thursday. Come on, you guys.